Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on The Payoff, Amanda Marino is a certified recovery and life coach. She's a certified intervention professional, but most importantly, she's more than 15 years sober. She suffered great trauma as a kid and started drinking and using pretty early in life. Before her usage got out of control, she actually worked as an actress and a model, and now she uses some of those skills serving as an expert on A&E's new show, Digital Addiction. She actually leaned on some of that knowledge to help me out a little bit, talking about my digital addiction towards the end of our conversation. She's real cool. I asked her if she's ever done an intervention like the one on The Sopranos where Christopher walked out. Uh, she had some funny comments on that. But uh, she shares her recovery and uh, you know, her journey is incredible. She's the co-founder of Next Level Recovery. And I just mentioned some of the stuff she's doing, carrying the message uh, as an expert on A&E. We're actually going to lead into our show, our conversation with Amanda, with some sound from that new show, uh, Digital Addiction on A&E. But uh, you know how the drill goes. First, my man, Kevin Souza. difference between a lifestyle choice and a social media addiction is what happens in someone's life, the consequences. I mean, we all have that choice, you know, to check out and check into another world. But with social media addiction, you can become completely checked out from reality, which, you know, can be really toxic. When you see yourself on A&E, you know, on, on primetime, uh, how does that make you feel? Well, I, I grew up uh, acting and modeling, so I've always seen myself on TV. But this was different because it was, um, you know, it being in recovery. I, you know, when I got clean and sober, I was like 200-something pounds. I had like completely like lost all my dreams as far as like the entertainment stuff. Um, just like my last few auditions, I showed up like very messed up and kind of ruined my reputation. And so when I got sober, I was like, I don't want to do like the things I was doing before, but I would love to do something that has, you know, some purpose and some meaning. And so I kind of manifested that from the time that I, you know, changed my life. And then I had, you know, so this, this happened and it was always a dream from really the, you know, the beginning for me was to do something like this that had some, I could go on TV and be a person of substance and help people and make a difference. Yeah. Like you can carry the message now. I think we all have. Fucking always speak for myself personally. When you get sober, you realize that God has given you gifts, like real uh -huh. gifts that you're able to, through your recovery, tap into those gifts and then help other people, which for me keeps my fire burning. Like, yeah, I can do whatever I want that's going to quote unquote pleasure me, but that's the thing that keeps me, me moving. Totally. Yeah. So it was, it's just kind of, uh, like there's things coming full circle. It's pretty, it's just pretty cool. Um, it just, it's, it makes me really happy. <laughs> I've heard you. I heard you on a podcast. It was uh, you were. It was the guy did a great job. It escapes me who he is now, but I'll I'll drop the link in here. He was talking about uh, waking up, like routine and stuff like this. This was a pod that was right before the pandemic. Oh yeah, wake up the sun. Wake up the sun. That's it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. he opened up 
uh, he kind of gave a live intro intro with you and he said all these positive things about you, you know, how you help people in recovery. You accepted the compliment, but you said that's just funny to hear somebody say that about me. Well, I've known Matt a long time, um, the person who it was who put the podcast on. So hearing it come from him, it was just like, it just was very heartwarming, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, and it's hard very sometimes for us to believe uh, that, you know, all the stuff you're doing right now, when you talk about the person who was walking into those auditions, it's, it's quite the journey, I would imagine. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's, and then when I hear families, like whether it's on a, in my personal recovery and professional, like tell me, you know, like how much I've helped. Like, it's like me, like I've helped, I've helped. Sometimes that's the hard one because I was the person that like nobody's family wanted them to be around. Now, like my personal recovery, like people I've sponsored or clients, families, like love me in their life and it's like it just it's pretty insane you know like I was the one that's like don't hang out with her don't bring her around you know <laughs> yeah let's, her. let's go backwards and talk a little bit about the insanity when was the first time you had a drink or a drug um it's pretty insane I was actually four um four years old I chugged a beer um I had smoked marijuana at nine years old for the first time really young. How did this stuff get introduced to you? Well, I have a, I come from like, you know, the, the heavy traumatic childhood. So my mother married a man who was um, a psychopath basically. And was like this Mr. You know, everyone in the community loved him, Mr. Church going, you know, guy by day. And he was a drug dealer, you know, physical and sexual abuser by night. So I was raised in a home with drugs and abuse and chaos and, you know, these two sides of, of what was being shown to the world and like what was going on behind closed doors. So no wonder I like saw something and tried to chug it at four years old. I was already being abused. Yeah. And you were already looking for an escape, I, I guess. Yeah. And then, and I don't know how, I mean, I have a nine year old and a 16 year old. I don't know how I found marijuana at, in fourth grade. <laughs> like it blows my mind. Like, how did that happen? You know, I look back and I can completely, you know, and, and because I came from what I came from and the upbringing, like, that was my excuse for everything. Like, what I went through, I'm supposed to be messed up. You know, people like me, people that go through what I went through are, you know, sometimes in institutions for their whole life or they're prostituting or, you know, so I'm lucky I'm just like this. Like, that was fully my whole MO. Were you on the other side of some of that sexual abuse at the hands of this, this guy, this psycho? I was abused. Yeah. I was sexually abused for three years. <sighs> I'm guessing you're not talking to anybody about this stuff uh, as, as a, a young girl. No, my mother, once my mom found like my mom was scared for her life. Like he threatened her life on a regular, you know, daily basis. And she was terrified. Um, but finally when she found out that I was getting sexually abused, she actually walked in on it. And that's when she finally like planned the getaway. You know, we got away from him. We, um, you know, she filed restraining orders. She like ran away in the middle of the night. And then he, he actually, um, you know, so she, she took a stand then. Um, and then he hired somebody to come back and abduct my, my younger sister, who was his daughter. I wasn't his daughter. He, he hired someone to kidnap my sister and bring her to Canada in front of me. So there was like more trauma. When we finally got away, we felt safe. Then he came back again and took her. Holy and shit. she was brought back on the news like a month later. Um, and I didn't go outside of my house for like a year like without my mom like attached to me. Wow. So you continue to, I guess you were in Fort Lauderdale when all this stuff happens? 
This is in Fort Lauderdale, yeah. Uh, and so is this, how old are you when, when your mom finally breaks away? Because as much as you're, you're terrified uh, from the, obviously at the hands of this guy, I would think that that does break a little bit of a branch off with that fear. Like, Hey mom, that's a hard decision for any woman to make, to get the hell out of there. I mean, it's, that's, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, but I think once that once she knew about the sexual abuse, that was like the, no matter what she was getting out, you know what I mean? Like the physical abuse, she was terrified for her life. She was beaten all the time. You know, I remember I have like, you know, visual memories, but my mom did put me in therapy once like all that kind of happened. So I, I, literally been in and out of like like in therapy on and off since seven years old yeah and your mom Um, from reading about you and listening to you your mom was a very loving influence in your life oh she's great yeah we're super close i mean she's you know she lives down the street i was just at her house yesterday i'm just so happy that she's she's been able to have healing in her life like she didn't get to do some of her healing until later in life you know yeah i'm so fortunate that she encouraged me to get the help so young, you know? Yeah. I read that you said that like one of the things, and I will jump back just kind of to your progression with addiction, but you wish you had saved yourself some of the pain, right? Because one of the most relatable things about your story to me is, man, I, I went to my first meeting in 2002 and I didn't have a, a year consecutively sober till 2012. Right. So I'm in and out. Yeah. For, for that's pretty common. 10 years in and out. Yeah. yeah that's about me. And, that's the same. And and people, I, I, I don't know. I want people to understand that are around people that are struggling with addiction like that. That is kind of like, that's a scenario that plays out often. And the, at the end of the day, if somebody can get sober, that's a miracle. Absolutely. It is a true miracle. And, you know, I was introduced to to 12 steps and to, you know, mental health care and all that. Like I said, well, therapy at seven, but like the 12 step and this, and the sobriety and, and that, those kind of things that probably like 14. And then I got sober at 26 and stayed. Wow. So what, what gets you to your first meeting at 14 or your first, you know, any, any kind of recovery room? Um, well, I didn't go to meetings at that point. It was more like programs, you know, which mm-hmm. introduced that. Um, but I had, um, you know, alcoholism and, and drug addiction ran and mental illness rampant in my family on both sides. You know, yeah. dad was in recovery. Mom struggled, you know, with her unresolved trauma. And my aunt was a heavy alcoholic and she spotted she was in and out of recovery and she spotted it in me. She was like, oh, yeah, you know, she knew. And she like she always believed in it for me but she didn't believe in it for herself because she thought she was like too old. Um, so I, I just was, you know, I was in, you know, juvenile, juvenile detention center, psychiatric hospitals, um, rehabs all at like 14, 15, 16. How are you, how are you acting out? Uh, I was just awful. Um, I just, no, no rules applied to me. I snuck out of the house. I just, I just did whatever I wanted. took my mom's car before I was, had a license stayed out all night, snuck out. Um, I somehow worked in nightclubs, like cocktail waitressing and bartending before I was 18. Wow. Nobody cares back then of like IDs and yeah, pretty wild stuff. I just, I was fearless um, because I was in so much pain and no, no rules or laws applied to me and my, and my brain. I've never heard that by the way. I was fearless because I was in so much pain. Um, I was, that's what I look at now. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I just was, I sought out, you know, I sought out, like when I was young, drug dealer guys, I sought out, you know, n- nobody like came to me and like 
peer pressured me. I sought all that stuff out. I looked for it. I looked for the escape. Like my first, like to backtrack a tiny bit, my first, like I remember as far as like a like thing that I, I did to feel like escape that I was aware of was shoplifting. I, I loved when I was little to like take something, not that my mom couldn't buy it for me, but to take it and the yeah. rush of getting away with it or the attention of getting caught. Yeah, the rush. That did something for me. Yeah, and that's, I was conscious. Yeah, that's like a pre, a, like a prelim, right? To like the, uh, yeah, the addiction and stuff. What kind, what kind of drugs were you doing when you were, you know, cocktail, just everything? Um, yeah, I mean, I was, I, over the years, I would kind of like was a, a, you know, a mixture of things, you know, when I was younger in high school, like acid and ecstasy and, um, roofies, which were like a date rape drug. We took those like, you know, on <laughs> Jeez, our own, yeah. Yeah. um, Xanax, like that, that kind of stuff, like really anything, mushrooms, alcohol, um, hard drugs didn't come till a little older. Like I didn't try cocaine until, I mean, those were hard drugs. I'm sorry. Like ecstasy was, was about to say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. is a very hard drug, but we didn't look at it like that. Sure. Everybody like that we knew was doing it. So, but like, it was like, we will never do cocaine. You know, we will never do. Um, and I really didn't get into like pain pills until I was older. And those, like I was able to kind of swap, um, addictions over the years. Mm-hmm. But when it came to when I was pregnant and I had my son, I, I, I stayed like not completely sober, but I had like a little bit of wine when I was pregnant, like a glass here and there. I w- but I was like literally hanging on with like my addiction was in full throttle, just waiting till I gave birth to like go all out. Um, and then when I had him, I didn't even have a C-section or anything. They prescribed me pain medicine. And I just like, that's what kind of brought me to my knees. I was already like, full addiction brain and just tick tock waiting for the, you know, the nine months to pass so I could go all out. And I did, I got worse after I had him. But you say that he's having your son did kind of, kind of save you. Oh, he did. He was like a little angel. You know, they say like, you know, kids pick up on their parents, your negativity and depression. This kid did not. He was just a bright light and was so happy. We called him Mr. Happy baby. And he literally like, saved my life like the guilt of the kind of mom I was for the first 18 months of my life could have either done one of one or two one of two things could have either killed me or saved my life and it ended up saving my life and I walked through that pain of how awful it felt and shared about it and talked about it and it really um, helped and empowered me and, and it helps me share now with other women like the guilt and the shame will keep a lot of moms really sick but if you just walk through it you can change like now when my son needs something you know he comes to me I wasn't like that when I first got sober he cried and wanted his dad because I wasn't present but we can change that over time and with lots of healing you know yeah I was telling somebody this the other day uh, somebody that was brand new right like a week or two and they have situations that are just monsters in their life now that they feel like they'll will never resolve will never be resolved. And, and, and I just said to this guy, I said, you'll be surprised of all the things that you have put off the table that are unattainable in your life, bridges you've burned, relationships. I said that will be back in play over time if you just embrace the one day at a time and let that fire you know, start to burn. And it's, it's true, people, but people can't wrap their minds around it, nor should, nor should they try, I guess, right, when they start. Yeah, I could have never wrapped my mind around 
my reality today. Like I had pretty, you know, like I remember like making goals and like having things that I like dreamed of and, and trying to find new passions since I destroyed a lot of really great dreams and my addiction, like a lot of us do, like that were not things that I could go back to. And I had to like accept that. But I, you know, I remember when it came to the point where like everything that I had made on like a list of like a dream or a goal all happened. Like I accomplished it all. And I'm like, now what? Like, how cool is that? Yeah. You know, like really, we're truly capable of anything and our heal, the healing that can happen in our lives. We can be, go from being the black sheep to being like the rock of the family. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, uh, I want to get, before I get into your recovery, I want to ask just about the, the acting and modeling. Cause that was, I, I didn't know that about you. That was new for me. And I've done a little bit of research. How did that how did that come together and, and how was that experience for you in the middle of drugs and stuff? Well, it all, I, I mean, I was, a it was it started when I was a child. So, you know, like a little bit at like four to seven and then again in my tween and teen years. And then basically when I got into substances, I stopped. Um, like I, it helped me stay on a good path. Like when I was, even with my issues, like whenever I was doing a photo shoot, like I was getting like really good grades in school and, and all that stuff. Like if they were long-term, like I would do my school in the camper van and whatever. But when I, you know, when I chose to party more was when I, or what I called partying, which was, you know, abusing and yeah. really, really abusing drugs. Um, I didn't, I, I couldn't do both. It didn't work for me. I looked like hell. I was up all night. I, I couldn't, you know, I remember just going to like a couple additions um, towards the end and I just couldn't even do it. So it wasn't something I was able to pull off. Like some people are able to, you know, go to college or, or go to auditions and be okay and pull it together. I couldn't, I, I was a complete mess. Yeah, Amanda, I was that guy too. Like, uh, I could not, like there were people who could keep jobs when they were like fully full blown addiction was going on. Like I, I, I just wasn't that guy. That's just not part of my story. I, I was, yeah. I, I became towards the end, just totally unemployable, you know? Um, totally. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't always like that. Yeah. And that's the one thing too, like, you know, when we talk about like that 10 year of going back and forth, like I'm the kind of person that when I go back, like when I did go back, I'd be like, Oh, it's going to be different this time. I'm just going to drink and I'm not going to take pills. And I could do that for like a couple months. My addiction's really sneaky. And then there's the one time when I go off and I don't come back. So that tricked me a bunch of times being like, Oh, look, I was able to stay sober for a couple months, but it's like, I had to get into my head that maybe I'm not the person that picks up and gets a bottle the first day and chugs it or like, goes out and gets all these drugs, but like it eventually will lead me to that. And it's in the time frame gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah. And then you and become the pain gets greater. <laughs> yeah. And the pain doesn't get, it gets so bad. Like you said, the pain pills brought you to your knees. And I, I tell myself this, I, I actually hear some peer people say it um, in meetings, but like, it's way harder to, to get sober than to stay sober. Because like, I don't know what's going to happen if I were to ever drink again. Um, or use again. Like, I don't know. I, I just don't even want to think about having to get back because if you stay connected, you hear about people that leave and never come back. And today the stakes are so high with the opioids and stuff. Like you go out and you snort something with fentanyl in it. Like it's lights out. Yeah. That was another blessing was I was still, you know, in my addiction and like the pill mill days. Yeah, me too. So like all the pill mills were, you know, Still in operation, pills were still relatively inexpensive, but that shifted shortly after I got sober, and people were going to heroin. Like I, I know I wouldn't heroin would have killed me. Like I couldn't even hang with like the 
the more hardcore um, pain pills. Like I, I took like the, you know, the big old school ones, but I would have, heroin would have killed me. Thank God I didn't get into that. Yeah. I think there's uh, yeah, I think I, I feel the same way. And I think there's a lot of us out there that literally escaped. It's like, but by the grace of God, because who's, what makes me different than, than the, the person who does the drugs that I would do that dies from it, you know, because of what we're dealing with today. Um, about your recovery. Yeah. So how did, how did things start to happen for you? Uh, and when did you think like, okay, like this recovery thing, I can do it. And it, it feels good. Like, was that through your, through your aunt that you mentioned, or was it a different avenue? Well, a few things. I mean, one being a mom and like facing like, you know, the, how I was like staying up all night. I wasn't like a good mom. My, my kids sat in dirty, dirty diapers. I wasn't like enjoying being a mom. I was dreading it. I was like miserable. So like that kind of bottom was one kind of thing. I always also knew from being introduced and being in and out of, you know, treatment and, and 12 step programming that like I eventually was going to end up there one day. And I kind of like told myself like, Oh, maybe once I get married and have a kid, then I'll go back to like AA. Yeah. <laughs> I have this whole, like, it all made sense in my crazy brain. Right. Yeah. But I kind of hit a place where, you know, I was going to be in a place of maybe like, losing full act, you know, full custody and stuff to my son. Like nothing had been put in place, but there was talks of like, if you don't get your act together, you know, then, then things are going to shift. And so I, I remember calling, you know, treatment centers in the yellow pages before, like, you know, we looked on Google for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, my aunt, I had actually found her passed away in her bed to the disease of alcohol, alcoholism. And yeah, let's make that clear. You, you found her. I found her passed away in her bed. Um, she didn't answer her phone. I knew she was in a relapse. I went over, looked in her window, and she was blue through her window. And I got worse before I got better from that for a couple months. And then um, that's when, like, my she had left some money for me, and I, I used it to go to rehab. And so, and that rehab and, was... And I've stayed since. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it really yeah. is. And, and this is weird. I didn't have as traumatic a situation as you, but my parents would tell you that my uncle died, um, of a drug overdose. He fell down the steps uh, on opioids. Um, and he left my mom some money and that was the money that was used for me to go to my treatment center when I, when I oh, bought wow. him. That's crazy. Wow, shit. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's, that's uh, amazing. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's, so I get it. And for me, I don't know if it was like this for you. And look, I want to say this because people listen to this and they want to hear about, they just maybe want to continue to kind of use this as a meeting and a propeller in their recovery, but also they're curious and not everybody needs to go to treatment, uh, to, to get sober. There's you, you hear of many different ways. Um, for me it was 12 steps and I know guys that get sober through 12 step meetings, but I, I needed to be institutionalized in a sense where I went to a rehab then I went to a, a halfway house and it was so important for me to get that separation. What was that? Was that your same experience that you, things just changed when you, when you went into this treatment center? Um, I, they, they didn't change right away. I still had that same like whole mentality, like things didn't apply to me. And I was like, you know, the worst client for the first month. Uh -huh. And then I, then I woke up, then a light bulb went off and then things began to change. And I, you know, I had been through it for so long that I was kind of like, you know, if I don't do this now, then I'm going to keep doing this over and over and things are just going to get worse. And, um, 
so I just, I didn't know if it was for sure, but like, I remember wanting it to be and wanting to be like, you know, they say, Oh, only three of you will be sober in a year or whatever. I was like, I'm going to be one of them, yeah. you know? And sure enough, I, I was, and you know, I, I started to listen to the suggestions, like after being a jerk for the first month, then I started to try little things that like they were telling me and giving me assignments and then listening in the meetings. And, you know, I got a sponsor right away and, and, had me dig into meditation right away and like I started to feel better like I didn't believe anything until I tried it and then like saw that it was working for me and then I believed it and it's the speak it speaks to the action uh that that needs to be taken right to to get well in this whole deal like you gotta I can go to everybody for their opinion and I can think this and feel that but the moment I actually do it it's things start to change for me absolutely what was, was there a turning point for you that you can point to when you were in recovery in treatment where you were like, okay, this, this is, I'm, I'm in this now. I'm all in. Yeah. I had a, like a spiritual awakening when the owner sat me down and asked me why I was being such a, an a-hole <laughs> and, uh, have you been doing this for so many years? You have nowhere to go. Like, what are you doing? And like, whatever he said to me that day, it was just like a light, like it just all clicked. And I was like, I need to stop this. Like you know, I, I need to, I need to do this and give this a chance. And, and that's when I felt like, I mean, I, I felt like I was not all in, but I felt like I was going to start giving things a little chance, you know? Um, and then just kind of following just what people told me to do. You know, I was somebody that I don't like being told what to do. I still hate being told what to do. That's why I work for myself. Um, (laughs) but, but like when it comes to, my healing and my recovery journey. And sometimes people have better eyes and ears than I do. So that, in that sense, I'm very open to being, you know, given suggestions or ask for feedback or ask for people what they, if they're seeing something that maybe I'm not seeing, like that's different than to me than being told what to do. That's like support and love. And, and sometimes I can't see clearly. And so I need people to be my eyes and ears. Yeah. And if, if you can find that gear for me, like the, to be teachable, which even today, right, I get so hard headed and my ego gets going and I don't need anybody's help. But the moment I become teachable is the moment like that healing you talk about starts to take place for me. Definitely. Yeah. I, that's one thing I always have to remind myself, like, I don't know anything still. I mean, I know a little, I have a little bit of life. Well, you know a lot. I, I mean, look at what you're doing. I, you, you, you know, you're, you're practicing some of it, but it's cool. It's cool that you're humble and that is how we learn. But I want to get to all, all that you're doing, uh, coming up in a minute. We'll get back to this conversation in a second, but right now a word from our sponsors. Ah, hammock. Check. Arnold Palmer. Check. Motorized solar shades? Yes, please. Get your home spring ready with Blinds.com. Upgrading your home with custom window treatments from Blinds.com is a small project with a huge impact. Relax and let Blinds.com handle the install. It's easy. Just click installation at checkout. Plus, Blinds.com has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Save 45% off selected products at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. 
Claims based on latest competitive data. Socks are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters. Underwear is the second, shirts are third. At Bombas, socks were first. Made with comfortable details for everyday wearing. Then underwear and shirts too. All designed to perfectly fit. At Bombas, every item you purchase means you're donating an essential clothing item to someone in need. One comfortable clothing item for you, one donated to someone in need. Bombas. Comfort for all. Get 20% off your purchase at bombas.com slash Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. The moment a business dream becomes reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. They simplify selling online and in person and provide 24-7 support so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash offer 22, all lowercase. So you leave treatment and then where do you go from there? Um, I did what most people don't do. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't highly recommend it to anyone. I went home to, at the time, my, my son's father was my husband, and uh, he still drank. Um, and my son. And After how many days? Was, I stayed for three months. Oh, that's good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I stayed for three months. I said, finally, I was like, just keep me until whenever. Like, I'll, whatever. You know, yeah. just keep me. So I want this to be the last time. So I stayed for three months and then I, I went home and, and then within a week, it just didn't work. You know, he, he was still living his life. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like I was, he was, you know, he had his drinking and I get sometimes it, yeah. he drank a little too much, but he wasn't like me. And, and so I had done a lot of damage too in the, in the marriage and my addiction. So I had asked, you know, we had discussed and he moved out and I, I had to learn how to like live and take care of myself on my own because I hadn't done that ever, you know? Yeah. Uh, I didn't I had to learn how to like little things like how to brush your teeth sober, how to like, <laughs> how to do though. laundry sober, how to like, you know, everything. But it was really good for me um, to have, I, I'd be jealous of people. It's funny that had half, that were in halfway houses, like all the girls that got to hang out all the time. Yeah. It seemed very sorority like to me. And I was like, you know, taking care of a household and a kid and it I had a lot of responsibilities, but it really gave me a lot of, um, it gave me a really rock hard, rock strong foundation, you know? Yeah. You were thrown right into the responsibility and in, in, in recovery and that's kind of sink or swim time, right? Because you can be overwhelmed and, and say whatever, you know, woe is me, or you can jump into the program and, kind of fight, right I mean that's that's a way out yeah yeah no I jumped all in I mean I was like at everything at, you know camp outs and dances and like anything that was you know I was all about everything now and it maybe made it my life you're you're married now but as as a woman I always like to ask people this like and for me I just drank and drugged so much around relationships how did you reintegrate into relationships in sobriety I think people I'm always actually, find this like actually, unfathomable I'm actually divorced a second time. Oh, now. you are? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I was married to my son's father and I was in a relationship for 10 years and, and about a year ago I, I got divorced. But my first four years of my recovery, once I separated from my son's father, I just focused on myself. Um, I did date a little bit, you know, after the first couple of years, but like I knew that that was an issue for me and I just wanted to like figure stuff out by myself. Yeah. 
um, and figure out who I was and what I liked and like all of those things. So that wasn't, and I never had like, I knew people had like men that were predators to them, but like, I never had any of that experience. I think because I kept like this guard up of like, I'm here for my recovery and like, don't mess with me. Yeah. Um, but then when it came time that like, I was like ready for something, you know, my, my daughter's father appeared and, and, you know, we built a beautiful life and had a great 10 years together and we're, we're still friends today. You know, we've been apart for a little over a year. Oh, year that's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. We, we still get along. I have two great, uh, children's fathers who I co-parent wonderfully with. Yeah. And that's, that sounds, that's a, that's a gift of recovery. <laughs> <laughs> totally. My brother, Michael was the same way he has, he uh, was similar to you. He's sober and, uh, he had his daughter, uh, and he, he, you know, this, I'm not breaking anything, uh, wide open here. He had his daughter and he took him about a year and a half, maybe, maybe a, a little over a year before he actually got sober. He was trying, he was in and out. And, uh, you know, he was like the villain in the family. And, uh, he, he basically one day, I guess, was he, I think he was getting ready to go score and he had to get his daughter back to her mom and he was just racing around and all he wanted to do was get rid of her so he could go do what he was going to do. And he was kind of like, what am I doing? And now yeah. he and that woman who, you know, had vilified him and, and for good reason, they're like super close, you know, and he's a godparent okay. to, to one of her children. And it's just and, and that does not happen. Like what you just described, what I just like uh, told you about yeah, him, that, that doesn't rare. happen without sobriety. Yeah, it's pretty rare, you know, uh, but my kids flourish because of it. Like they're not, you know, they come from what used to be called a quote unquote broken home, but it's not a broken home in our house. It's we're full of love and everyone, you know, they're, they're so loved everywhere that they're not like it's not harm it has not harmed them. Um, they've gone through things, you know, and they're supported through it. And that's the gift of recovery. When did you find that you were wanted to make this something uh, that was going to be, you were going to do this for, for a living and really give back? Uh, and when, when did that happen for you early on? No, after I had about four years and I worked at, the, at a, a fancy hotel for the first four years of my recovery, which really helped me to like speak better to people. It taught me a lot of great work ethic and, um, and then I had a, then I had a girlfriend that did like marketing for treatment and I, I kept asking her about it, like doing, she did like business development and clinical outreach and she would do events and like all these things. And she basically taught me some things and helped me get like, get my first, you know, like entry level position. And then I just worked up from there. I worked on the business end of treatment for many years worked with employers like EAPs and the airlines and helping them, their people get treatment. Um, and then I started doing training on the side for coaching and, and case management and interventions and like did apprenticeship for a couple of years, like under people and doing it on the side. And then I contracted under larger companies for um, some time as well. And then I realized I didn't want to work in treatment anymore. And so I just took a, a plunge and just left and went on my own and, and then I was on my own for about six months. And then I um, found Next Level with my business partner now. And um, you found beginning it. Beginning of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So you started it at the beginning of 2020. And you guys, okay, so you're, you're a life coach. I want to ask some questions about this. You, you can kind of work as a sober companion sometimes, or you can work as a sober companion. You're also like a conduit, right, to people that are trying to find recovery. How, how does that, how, how do you do that? 
Well, I actually have a whole company. We have a team of interventionist coaches and companions. Like, I don't do the companioning anymore. Okay. I, um, I have people that do that for us. I saw that. You have, like, um, what, like like eight people that work for you? Or there's a, there's a, it seemed like a bunch. We have, like, our core team, but we also have, like, 25 others that aren't on, or maybe even more, that aren't on the website that okay. are just available for certain jobs. But um, I don't know. I just try to, like, be honest and, you know, I want people to see that you know what maybe they think recovery looks like isn't what it looks like like it can look like anything and you can have you know it looking great on the outside falling apart on the inside and that's okay there's like a place for you you know not everyone needs like you said treatment some people can go different routes there's there's just different journeys and pathways for anybody and like people that are suffering in silence that's one thing I think social media has really helped with is that we can reach people in masses that we couldn't normally reach before. And sometimes sending a message um, to someone is a lot less scary than like picking up a phone and saying, Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm having trouble with drinking or a drug addiction. Like that's scary. Yeah. Um, so it gives a lot more people, um, you know, access to, to knowing that they're not alone, that, that, you know, things that they're going through, other people are going through that there is help and, and hope out there, you know, um, so that's one thing I do love about the piece of social media and being honest and reaching out to people in that way is that, um, people are scared and, and that they don't have to be, they can just send a message to start, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, and that's what this is conversation is all about. Like people, I think sometimes are, are like I was right. It's, it's hard to get to a meeting. Uh, it's, you're scared sometimes. And I think it's cool to have content out there. Like you, you produce, um, and you know, like this podcast where people can listen and can, can drop in and, and be like, yeah. Oh, okay. Like these people are like me. Um, you know, people yeah. in recovery are some of the, the outlaws of society that I love. Like they're next to you at seven 11, but you just don't think they're that person, you know? Uh, and it's like, right. When you walk in, you're like, man, these, this is my, this is my group. These are my people. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, you know, the, people that we connect with are definitely not people we would like, unless we were in recovery, would never, you know, maybe cross paths, but here we are, you know, um, all different versions of the same kind of pain. Now you're, you know? you're very easy to talk to, but I, I can also uh, get, I, I get that you're no nonsense, which I would imagine is good <laughs> for this job. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, you seem yeah. like you get right to it. Uh, is that's, is that a strength? I, honestly, that's, what we could use more of in recovery. I think people that just kind of get or are a little more direct. And uh, how do you use that in, in your job? I mean, how effective is that, that, that kind of communication? Well, I mean, when it comes, it just depends on the kind of like situation, like in an intervention situation, I am like called the pit bull. Like I had a former client nickname me the pit bull and we kind of like went with that. Um, I'm no, I'm very kind and loving, but I'm a no nonsense in an intervention um but like when it comes to like coaching or case managing people like I really am I'm gentle to meet them where they are but when people like you know make their word or make commitments to things I'm very direct about like holding them accountable to it I'm not a ship I I'm not a, I've learned how to be a little softer um <laughs> are you okay and a little and a little like less opinionated and direct 
Um, so I, I, but I still speak my mind and it can't hold back, um, certain things, you know, I, I'm very true and, and upfront. What you see is what you get, what I'm feeling, you'll usually know. And, um, you know, but I love hard and, um, I care, like I have a huge heart. But I also don't take any shit. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and I can tell it's a strength of yours. What What do you do? Because I know I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I mentioned to him I was going to chat with you, and like I was giving him your background. He's a sober dude. He was interested, and he was like, "What can you ask her? What it's like to just do an intervention?" I think a lot of people would be curious about that. Like, I, not that you could tell somebody how to do it. I mean, it's obviously a, a real skill. But I guess how do you prepare? Because I got to imagine that is an emotional like, you know, spin cycle, how do you get ready for that? And how do you decompress? Well, we, we try, you know, we have learned a lot over the time, you know, that we've been doing it. So we learned from other people and then we learned from our own trial and errors. We take time. Um, we like to move slow and we like to bring in a number of professionals. Like we have, um, you know, one of our psychiatric nurses speaks to each person that's going to be involved. We get lots of information. You get family. We just get a ton of information. Um, we meet with them and different professionals on our team meet with them before, you know, really to get to know. So like when we walk in, we like, we feel like we know the family, we understand the person. Um, so we're not just walking into some like chaos. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can, it can be right. Sometimes it all, all the plants are out the window, but we at least have a lot of information walking in. And sometimes, you know, there's two different models there that we use. Um, there's a few models, but we use invitational, which is where you invite the person to this family meeting. Like they know that something is going to go on. So okay. their guard is a little down. And then there's the Johnson model, which is the more surprise method, which we real we figure out which one will be most appropriate or even a combination of the two based upon what we learned about the family and the individual. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we go in and, and we just try to connect and align with them. Like I will disarm myself. Like I'll do things like sit on the floor or like, you know, we just, we try not to be threatening. We try to come in and, and really align with the client sometimes, you know, so it really just depends on the, the situation. But like, I love when we do an intervention and we become, connected to the person and we become just something a, a, you know, a resource that can stay in their life long after we're done working with them. Just like check on them, you know, every so often if they need something or, you know, like we, we try to stay involved and be available to the families that we serve. What's, you know? what's the best um, immediate outcome of an intervention? Like they're in a car going to treatment. I mean, most of them go, honestly, the first day, the day of most go. Um, and, the ones that don't go the first day usually go within a week and that's because the family holds boundaries because we have to do a lot of work with their family on the front end. Huh. Um, make sure that they, they do their own work and they have a thing. So yeah, the ba- I mean, we've had one that we thought was going to be so hard. We got there and it was like, it was like a TV, one of the TV show ones, like each person read their letter. The mom said, I'm going to go. And we went and it was that easy. And she stayed and it was like, and sometimes you think they're going to be, you know, really, um, you know, it's going to be a breeze. And then there's, you know, some hidden things that come out, you know, if there's some, some families think that their loved one is, is on substances. And then we get there and we find out, oh, okay, they're not on substances. It's actually like, a, you know, Gambling. psychotic episode. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's a lot of moving pieces, but we, we believe it takes a village and we, we use, you know, we bring in the right professionals, um, 
and, and our team to work together and help the whole family unit because the whole family has to do work for the intervention and the treatment to be successful. Yeah, that's incredible. You ever you ever see the Sopranos episode where they do Christopher's intervention? Yes, I've seen the Sopranos, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, that's like uh, it's, uh, drug addiction and interventions aren't funny, but that I would imagine that you haven't had that happen. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's always... I, know, I have had some crazy things. I had a teenager shirt off come up to me because we did work with a lot of adolescents too. Uh-huh. Um, come up to me and call me uh, all kinds of names in the book, like chats up to me. I've had a, I heard a gun cocked upstairs. I've had people threaten me. I've had people run. Uh, you know, I've had all kinds of stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm sure it's. Uh... It can be wild, like, but like we try to avoid that. So now when we work with adolescents, we tend to move slower, like, like go meet them first and kind of like let them know like, Hey, your parents hired us. And like, we're going to try this at home. And if it doesn't work, then we want you to go to treatment. So then when we, when we do come to get them for treatment, it's not a shock. They knew yeah. that we were coming. How, how did you like, this is amazing, by the way, I appreciate you sharing all this with me and I'll wrap it up in a little bit, but I got a couple more things. How do you help like how do you learn because one of the things that you're involved in now with uh you know the digital addiction the show is on a and e it's monday nights right um yeah it's mondays at at 10 eastern but you Um, can get it on i'm guessing it's on demand and wherever right stream it i believe so i know it's on the a and e app because I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure, but you probably can just like anything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you can. And and the a and e app I've been on there for other stuff too. Uh, what, uh, what do people do about like the, 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 the addiction with cell phones and social media is out of control right now. And, uh, you know, that's how you found your way onto TV screens all over the world. But like, what the hell is going, how do people stop that? And do you have any suggestions for people to curb that? Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy right now. I think, I think it's it's just a huge problem. That's my opinion. Yeah. I mean, if most of us took like the quiz, we don't probably, you know, most of us would fail. Right. Um, but for me, you know, I just kind of re like I took six months off of social, all social media, um, when I was filming the show Wow! and just kind of, and I had like my woman that posts that, that uh, manages our next level of social media. I had her go on and just post as me for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I just like took time away and just reevaluated my relationship with it and like looked at like what, you know, area just really took some space from it. It really was, I probably am going to do it again, to be honest. It's very healthy. Um, it feels, it felt so good. I only saw what I saw in my day to day. And there's something that's like so refreshing about that. Like if I wanted to send pictures to people that I'm close to, I sent them a couple pictures or, you know, it was just, it, it just felt so, um, it just felt really good. Um, so like digital detoxes are good, you know, like making sure you take like time away, they have the new focus stuff on the phone, on the iPhone that you can like have your phone, like not ring when you're driving or not ring when you're in your home or not ring when you're, you know, from this time to this time, like utilizing those things and really setting boundaries with yourself. And if you have children, you know, my kids, like, you know, I, I, my daughter, she's nine. She could be on the, uh, she could play on the thing with her friends and talk and do all that. I have to really limit her. Um, and my son is 16, you know, he likes video games, but you know, he's very balanced. He goes to the gym, he has a girlfriend, he goes to the beach, he does all this stuff, but he plays some video games at night here and there. But just the balance, you know, making sure that like our personal connections are being, um, you know, like, are we just commenting and liking stuff on people's social media and like not talking to real people in life and like getting together with friends and like, 
you know, cause that's not real. None of that shit's real. I mean, it's just, it's false connection. In yeah. my opinion. And I, I, I like, and that's what, uh, obviously, right? Like, it's like, it gives you that endorphin rush for a second and it kind of quiets whatever the hell you're looking for. And then you're just not getting any, for me, you're not getting any better. This is about like, that's why recovery is awesome because you get in front of someone more often than not and you're connecting with them. And there's a magic that comes off of that, that like, you're, you're not getting that shit on social media. It's just never happening. Um, no. it gives you that, it gives me the feeling, you know, and that's why recovery, I can always, I'm so lucky that I can always go back to it. It gives me the feeling that alcohol and drugs used to give me, but it gives it to me long term. I've got to work for it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the social media component is like, that's even worse than alcohol and drugs. That's so, it's so fleeting. It's just like, why, why am I, why, why am I doing this? And I see myself going for my phone and getting almost like twitchy. And it's like, dude, yeah. you need to chill. Like, whoa. I mean, I'm 45. I'm like a friggin' yeah. teenager, you know? But I mean, we're some of the worst in our age group, you know? Like, we, we just are because we have our work on it and it's all this stuff. And it's like, you know, there's the, the one things that were touched on in this week's episode where the doom scrolling, yes. where you're like scrolling, looking to like make yourself feel bad, or the thirst posts, which are, you know, how many women's asses do you see on Instagram? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And like, that's called like a thirst trap, like trying to get that, you know, attention. Um, so it's like, we have to look at like our motives and, and just kind of be mindful, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, what is it for? Um, you know, I got, it got blurry for me. Like I was trying to like, you know, be this person of like, like, you know, very outspoken about my recovery, but then it started to feel like a burden. And that's when I was like, I need to like, stop. Like it started people's comments and weird messages and stuff like that were affecting me. And that's when, you know, it was really helpful for me to take a break. How, how did, was it hard the first couple of days when you took a break? Was it similar to addiction or was it freeing right away? For me, I was just like super ready. So it was, I was fine. I didn't, I, I didn't even miss it at all. <laughs> so you, you didn't have to, you didn't have to really practice anything no or have, have somebody keep you accountable. Nothing. No, I mean, I had the girl that does my, my, you know, so I didn't disappear. Like as far as the world was concerned, I was still, she was posting as me and, um, and I just didn't have to worry about any of it. It felt like such a relief, you know? Um, and it just kept me, I felt so much more present. And the only reason I went back on was because I co-hosted a conference in, uh, in Utah in March. And I like, I was like, all right, there's no way I can ask her to like post all this stuff while I'm doing this conference. Like I have to get on there and, you know, and yeah. so then I've been on March. Yeah, that's great. So, I, pre- I appreciate that. That's like revealing uh, like the six months is the real deal. Uh, so that's like super impressive. And I'm so down the rabbit hole, right? Like I'm like, oh, I can't like, whew, I can't do that. It reminds try 24 me. 24 hours. Yeah. Try 24 hours. That's what like a digital detox. Just try 24 hours of like just using your phone as a phone. Yeah. Do you have to, do, yeah. do you recommend taking the apps off the phone? If, you, if it's hard for you, I mean, <laughs> I did for six months. Uh, you can leave them on there and not go through. It just depends. And then, like I said, like that new, like if you have iPhone. Yeah. So that's that it's in the settings, the focus, like that's a game changer. So now like I, when I'm driving, I don't like, don't, my phone doesn't ring. It, go, it just, it's do not disturb. Yeah. That way I'm not worried about like, cause I, I was like texting and driving and responding to things. And like this way when I drive, I'm just driving when I'm doing something, this I'm just doing that. Like we were, I, I became so like, um, 
always multi trip, you know, tasking in like 20 different directions, you know, like I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. It's awesome. I heard you talk about that. Like you, and let's get back to the recovery. I'll let you out of here or this, the, the alcohol and drug stuff. Um, yeah, by the way, I appreciate that. You keep going over that with me, and I think a lot of other people do. I think it's something that people really have no clue how to broach it. Uh, I think it's like, you know, there's and there's just a fear of, about that. Now, you talked about in sobriety, I've heard you say, like, you're you're to a point in your life where you're not 100 million directions at once. Like, in recovery and in your life, you found the ability to just show up and be in in one place. Uh, how How have you done that? Uh, burned myself into the ground, <laughs> to be honest, you know, just like the, like I do with most things, but I, I was so go, go, go for so many years and pulled in so many different directions and volunteered for it. Nobody else did it, you know, but I was like not emotionally connected to myself for so many years because I was so on the go and so on the grind, so goal focused. Um, but like, I just didn't even feel for a number of years and lost full connection with myself and, you know, my emotions. And this is and in sobriety. Amazing. In sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for, which, about, for a few years. Yeah. Which people will be, uh, I, I don't know, like it's sh- shit happens in sobriety and recovery life breaks out and you can, you can check out and still stay sober, but it's, uh, it's not even close to as fulfilling, right. As it, as it is to be present somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea until I stopped it that it was even going on. Like, that's how crazy it is. Like, it was like my way of protecting myself, but not knowing this. It was like all subconscious. But once I stopped and like took a deep breath, and like, I mean, so much hit me. You know what I mean? And I was like, you know, it, it, it was, I was trying to, you know, not judge, not judging myself. And I totally understand what I was doing and why I did it. But like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't, I like my priorities now are, are like being, you know, just being present, like being, I mean, always use, it's always being with my kids, but like being with my kids in another way, like enjoying life, um, you know, work and goals and all that stuff is not my number one anymore. You know, it's not my number one focus. What, it's still there. But. Yeah. Uh, well, what is your, and I've heard you say like you used to feel almost shameful about saying that money was your motivation, but it kind of was, and, and it's not anymore. And that's, I think that's a really good place to be. I know for me, that's when I'm actually subconsciously not even meaning to, but I'm moving towards career success when I'm not thinking about it and I'm not attached to the, to the end shit, you know? I've never, can't say I've never been like fully motivated by money. Like it's not my motivator. It's passion combined with success and like the things that making money can bring me as far as enjoyment in life with my family. Um, and that I'm totally okay with. I used to like, I did used to feel like bad about that and I I don't anymore, but like you, like I can work smarter and, you know, and still work hard, but have balance and boundaries. I don't have to spiral out of control to like get where I need to be. I can be more strategic and that's what I'm learning. You know, what is your, what does your recovery look like today? Like, wh- like, how do you practice recovery in your everyday life? Yeah, I go to, um, you know, an in-person meeting or two a week. Um, I go to a couple of Zoom meetings. Like, they fluctuate. Sometimes I go to two a week. Sometimes I don't. It just depends. Um, I keep, like, a very flex. I call it flexible structure in my life because that way I don't feel bad if I don't do something because I used to do that I'd be like have all this stuff I'd have regimented and if I didn't hit one of the things I'd beat myself up so I don't yeah. do that anymore okay um I'm gentle with myself um I speak to my sponsor almost every day um I've been in 
per in therapy for about two years. Um, I do different like intensives, like, you know, trauma intensives or like, you know, professional like workshops that are, you know, for self, like to work on self. Um, so yeah, I just, I take care of myself. I pray, I journal, I read, um, all kinds of things, you know, um, I work with people that are new in recovery. Um, yeah, I meditate. I like to spend time outdoors. That's like where I most connect to like my higher power is like in nature, mountain, yeah, me beach. Too. Yeah. So I try to, you know, make time to do that. Um, and just like enjoy the, like the little things like with, especially with my children, you know, cause it goes so fast. My son's 16, almost 17. My daughter's nine, almost 10. And it's like just flying by. Yeah, it's like weird. All you want to do when you start is get a ton of time and then you have time and you're like, wait, let me just kind of slow this down and enjoy it. Slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I try to be of service, like not just in recovery, but in life in all respects, you know, Um, and just try to be a good person and do the next right thing and try to improve my my spiritual condition and, and, you know, improve my insides. All right, last question for you, Amanda. When somebody, you're you're in a... 12 step meeting um and and a young woman walks up to you and she's like I don't, I don't know what to do like how do i do this what what do you say to them i i give them my phone number and you know tell them to give me a call and ask and tell them to come again you know tomorrow and help them kind of um connect maybe introduce them to other women you know um because i can't you know and be able to take it all on by myself but just you know Tell them to keep coming to meetings, to give themselves a break, and to, you know, listen to the suggestions and try them and apply them. Yeah, like there's not a magic bullet, right? You just kind of, you have to kind of keep coming. Uh, and then Yeah, there is, no, the and there's so many ways now. Like, I, I, I don't, I'm not as, like, black and white as I used to be. I've worked with lots of people professionally that don't have the same recovery journey as me, and I see it successful for them, and I'm, I'm supportive of that, too. I used to think there was my way or no way. Um, and that's, that's just not what I believe anymore either. I know it works for me and I'm willing to help anyone with that or help them find what they think might work for them. You know, what's it like, what's it like with the last name Marino growing up in South Florida? How's that been? That's, I just got that name a few years ago. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) But I do hear, I do hear a lot of the, you know, Dan Marino. Oh, come on. I love Dan Marino. Yeah. I was, born and raised here so yeah i hear a lot of that <laughs> one thing i will say positive of social media right i dm'd you and that's why this podcast is going to be out there hopefully helping people so that's a definite positive totally, yeah there's there's so many positives to it you know there's definitely so many positives so thank you so much for for reaching out and for your interest and for your time and, and for what you're putting out there as far as you know helping people i really appreciate you yeah i appreciate you too and next tuesday this will go up so i'll shoot you the link uh next tuesday Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for your time, Amanda. I really appreciate it. Okay. Have a great day. Okay. All right. Bye, Peter. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza. And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts. You can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.
Hey, Cricket customers, Max with ads is included with your Cricket $60 unlimited plan at no additional cost. Max is the streaming platform where you can watch Scoob, Meg 2 The Trench, The Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, and so much more. Remember me. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. We've never seen this before. Max, the one to watch for a good scream with Cricket. Phone plan streams in standard definition. Programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details.